Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, hit it shot. Oh, baby, what a play. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in Casey and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio and I discuss the latest Chris Jones and Kadarius Tony news. Uh, Joe, we'll start out. There's so much talk on Chris Jones. There's one year left on this deal not being at training camp. Let me know if you think differently, and we'll, we'll go into this eventually. But I don't see this as a big deal in the sense that he's articulated how he wants to be a chief for life. And for a guy who spent five years in the Spags of defense, I think he'll be fine if he misses time in camp. So I want to kind of think, a, a look at this in a more interesting way, take it in a different direction, and rely on your experience in the trenches. Joe, what makes Chris Jones so special? That's a great question, Jeff, and, and definitely worth talking about because you know what? Let's put that aside. He's going to be playing. He All right. So you're also not worried. Like I'm not worried about it. Yeah. The Chiefs are going to find a way to get this done. Just number one, I know Brett Veach is looking at the depth chart going, yikes, we better get him in camp, right? I mean, just I'm just being honest. Nothing against the guys that are backing up Chris and 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 what where the uh the Chiefs depth chart is right now in the interior, but they got they got they got to sign him. Like there's that's yeah. like they're going to make it happen. And, that's not and, one of the position groups they have like Nadi's a good player, a Menahu, I think can slide in and play some D tackle, but that's not one of the areas that they're particularly deep at. This might be one of the thinner areas on a, right. on a roster. Right. I mean, if they had a holdout, I mean, nothing against any of the guys on that are starters on the offensive line. Trust me, that that interior three that the that the Chiefs have is as good as any. But you know, Nick Allegretti can play and he can back up any position, and you're not going to lose games if Nick Allegretti's filling in for yeah. Joe Tooney. So anyway, roundabout way of saying why I think your question's a great one because let's just put that aside. I think he's going to be in starting in the games. You know, my prediction is he will start opening day and they'll work it out. And so what if he misses camp? Jeff, we talked about this before. For a guy who's been playing this long and is that good, it might only help him staying out Mm -hmm. of camp. Yeah, You know, he might not get a tweak like Kadarius Toney. We're going to talk about that, you know, and, and just keep him out. Every good veteran knows how to hold out. It's not like he's going to be out of shape. He's one of the best defensive tackles in the game, if not one of the best defensive players in the game. So, boop, put it aside, and let's talk about what makes him so good. His body, I mean, just look at him. He's He's got everything that you would look for in a new wave, new age, or whatever term you want to use, defensive tackle. You know, he's got the stoutness, the thickness to withstand double teams. Um, he's got the length to pass rush and to get his hands up and block, you know, look to, to disrupt pass, uh, passing lanes for quarterbacks throwing across the middle. And, and he's got the stamina. He just, he, he, he plays, he's got a motor, I should say, um, that he knows how to keep going and going and going. And like I said, to use that term fighting off double teams and getting down blocked and doing all those things. He just has, he has everything to be an unbelievable interior defensive lineman. Now I, cause I think, he reminds me a lot of Reggie White in his body type and his length and his, his shortness of his legs and the length of his arms. And I always thought that Reggie White, as great Hall of Fame, first ballot, defensive end, I always thought Reggie White would have actually been better on the interior. 
he would have been, I think he would have had a, I don't know how you can have a non, how you can bypass a first ballot hall of fame career. The guy did it all. I mean, I don't, and I don't know if he could have had his, you know, how it's hard. It's hard to say how you could have, have a greatest career as Reggie White had, mm-hmm. but I think he would have been even better and more dominant oh. on the inside. And what a cut Joe beating me to the punch. I was going to ask you for a comp. Wow. Reggie, what like I, Chris Jones, I thought, was the best interior player in football last year. Now, if I had one game to play, would I pick Aaron Donald over him? Yes, but Aaron Donald had a down year. He was hurt last year, and he's older. So that that's why I'm kind of saying Jones over Donald. Donald's career obviously has been better. But yeah, you know, to compare Reggie White, wow, that's that's I love the comp, and also that says like because Reggie White might have been the best. Might have been the best defensive player, period, I saw. It might yeah, have, you know, yeah. I, I, yeah. It just reminds me so much of him, you know, in, in the way that he plays. He's, you know, because he's different than your typical defensive tackle that you may have seen 5, 10, 15, 20-plus years ago, right, where the guys I remember going against at defensive tackle from my own personal experience were the Cortez Kennedys of the world. Mm-hmm. Dan Salimua, um, you know, um, Russell Maryland. Um, more guys, like run stuff, more like big run stuffers, man. Just yeah. bowling balls. I we used to call them. <laughs> like, Cortez Kennedy was a bowling ball, and I mean that in every compliment of the, uh, you know, in, in every way a compliment, right? He was a bowling ball. He was a stout. He was a fire hydrant, you know. And that was the typical defensive tackle back then. Jerome Brown is a name that you know might uh, spark some memories for 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 fans who are listening, but like. Chris just he just he brings that Reggie White type of body type to John Randall was another guy who had a motor, you know, like he had a Porsche motor. I mean, the guy was he never stopped Mm -hmm. and he never broke down. But he, you know, he was he was not, you know, he was not a guy that like Chris Jones could, you know, dominate a game from the outside and inside. And and I think that's what makes Chris Jones special. I think it's his body type. I think it's some of the innate skills that he has and uh, you know, his motor all combined into one that, that make him, you know, like you said, maybe, maybe you got one game to play and everybody's healthy. You go with Aaron Donald, maybe his experience and Mm -hmm. maybe that little intangible that he has. But I think Chris Jones for a full season is the guy that you want. And uh, the reason why he should be up there getting paid like Aaron Donald. You ever, like, I remember when the, the, one of my favorite games that I've seen in person, that Chiefs-Eagles game, Joe, where the Chiefs just smoked the Eagles. Everyone thought we were going to run the ball, and we just aired it out. National TV again. T- uh, nationally televised game against that great defense. You played in that game. Did you have to block Reggie White at all, or was oh, he just... God. He was a handful, <laughs> man. He threw me down on one play like I wasn't even – like I was a high school player. The guy was unbelievable. I mean, I was a I was a three hundred and five pound grown man, and it was like, get out of my way, kid. Did he do the like, hump that 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 hump move that John did? Yeah. Did he do that on you? Did, yeah, he th- threw the hump move on me, and then and then and then as he was picking me up off the ground, he put his hand out, and Reggie never called anybody by their name. He always called people by their number, and uh, you know, I had met him when I was in college when I was getting recruited by an agent. And uh, there was a gentleman who was working Reggie White, uh, his publicity. He was like his publicity agent, so to speak, or like everybody, you know, you had this. I didn't have one, but like a lot of the bigger players, they always had like in this, they had their agent, right? You got 
think of the names, Lee Steinberg, Drew Rosenhaus, right? You got these big time agents that are doing your contract. And then a lot of times in your local city, you might have a local agent that does your local stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your agent that might do, or some publicity person that might do in, within an agency that might do your national stuff, you know, your national commercials and spokesperson stuff and whatnot. So I was with this, I was with this, so I was with this agent uh, who who was working lo- Reggie's local uh, PR, and uh, when I was getting recruited out of college, and he was kind of recruiting me to maybe be his contract agent. So he said, hey, Joe, would you like to come meet Reggie White at his radio show at a local sports bar in, in the Philadelphia area? So I got to meet Reggie um, that, then when I was a college senior, uh, right after my senior year, getting ready for the draft and combine and all that stuff mm-hmm. and getting recruited by this agent. So it was a real thrill to meet him. And um, so I knew him and I, I didn't I wouldn't have expected Reggie to remember that, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. But uh so when I'm I, after Reggie threw me on the ground like I was a rag doll, he puts his hand out and he says, "Hey, seventy three, do you know Jesus?" Right? <laughs> hey, that's what Reggie did. He was the minister of defense, right? He was always preaching, and and I I I looked at him and I said, "Reggie, I got to be honest with you. After that move you put on me, I saw Jesus." So he got a kick out of it. Left you know left everybody alone for the rest of the game, and you know we kind of like we won that game. So it was that was a big game and. You know, so anyway, that was what a great story, Joe. That's that's one of the best Jovi stories we've had on this podcast. Oh, well, appreciate that one. I love telling that one because it was a thrill, right, to play against Reggie White. And, um, you know, but 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 here's you won't you won't. Can I tell you another Reggie White story? Go along. Yeah. Yeah. So anything like that. Our listeners are going to like this. Right. So my my roommate in college. was our center and we were roommates for, for three years in college. Um, you know, freshman year, we, you know, you get a random roommate, but then we became, you know, best of friends. And, and I said to the agent, I said, Hey, if I come to this Reggie white thing, would you mind if I brought my roommate? He's another, he's a center on our team. And the guy was like, yeah, no, no problem. It's a big deal. Right. It's going to cost the, you know, cost the agent a hamburger at, you know, at a local sports bar. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Reggie was very, you know, he did not promote alcohol. Um, you know, Reggie was very uh, strict about that. And like when we would, when he used to do his radio show from the sports bar, he always made sure that the beer signs were covered up and, and everything. So look, I was a typical college kid, right. And I'm not saying that I was like a party animal, but you know, I knew how to have a good time, go out and have a beer with my, my buddies and, you know, mm-hmm. celebrate a win or whatever. So we had, uh, we had, a, we had, a we had a fun night. Let's just put it that way. The night before uh, <laughs> we went to meet with Reggie white. And so we're at the radio show at the sports bar and they sit us down at the table and Reggie white's wife is there. And Reggie comes over and kisses his wife and says, hello. And she introduces us and she says, Hey, this is Joe and Pat. And, Joe is talking to, you know, uh, your, your, your PR agent, Glenn, mm-hmm. and uh, he's, you know, kind of like trying to, you know, make it in the NFL, right? At this point, I just finished my senior year and whatnot, and it was still the NFL season was still going on. And Reggie said, oh, it's great. Good luck to you. And, you, you know, if you pick Glenn as your agent, you'll love working with him, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, thanks, Reggie. He goes, I'm going to go do the show. Nice to meet you. Good luck with everything. And hopefully I'll see you in the NFL someday. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, awesome, Reggie. Great. What an honor to meet you, right? So we sit down and I'm relatively emotionally intelligent, Jeff, but my roommate wasn't. And so, you know, uh, Glenn says, Hey, what do you guys want for dinner? You know, while the show was going on, it was one of, you know, it was a typical call in show, you know? 
And I said, well, I'll have a, a Diet Coke and I'd love to get a hamburger, right? So I'm reading the room, man. I know the deal. So my roommate goes, um, you know what? I'll grab, a, give me a Miller Lite and uh, I'll take a burger too. So I looked at him. I said, what are you doing? I said, we're <laughs> sitting with Mrs. White here. She just got done telling everybody how to cover up all the beer signs. What are you doing? Right? And he's like, what? I just want a beer with a burger. I'm like, dude. We're still hungover from last night. We're with, we're with the minister of defense wife and you're ordering a beer. Are you an idiot? Right. So, Oh, Jeff, she went on a tirade, right? She goes, Mrs. She goes, White, you're saying went on the Mrs. tirade. White. She goes, yeah. Patrick, what are you doing drinking alcohol? And I and I'm playing along. I'm like, Mrs. White, I don't know what he's doing. She's like, you don't, she's like, you don't drink, do you, Joe? I said, no way, Mrs. White. I don't touch alcohol. You know, and I'm like a lying, of course, right? Because I'm still hungover, I'm lying to Reggie White's wife, and 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 she's going, Pat, Patrick, don't you know what alcohol does to your body? And do you think Reggie White could perform at the level that he does if he partook or partake? I don't know whatever word she used of alcohol and alcoholic beverages while he's in season. And I'm like, that's right, Mrs. White. You tell him. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, and, and she, I mean, she gave him the third degree, Jeff. And I was laughing the whole time because I kind of just fibbed and said, no, I, Mrs. White, I would never touch alcohol. No way. And I, I follow my life like Reggie White. <laughs> so That is hilarious. It, that, was, it, was, it was really funny. It was really And I funny. also appreciate you might have, I think you kind of hung your teammate out to dry there, but so far, believe in Chiefs, you've always had my back. I'm glad that in the years yeah, past, that you're, you know, you're much more supportive. Of, of if we were having dinner with Reggie White's wife tonight, I would totally tell her you were teetotaler <laughs> and that you never had a drop of alcohol in your life. <laughs> Appreciate it, Joe. Appreciate it. Well, uh, more on uh, Reggie White, Reggie White's wife. Maybe, maybe not, or maybe we'll shift to other things. But first, Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, your favorite casino and card games. Available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Joe, I, I barely made it through that. I was still, I was trying so hard not to laugh about that. That, that story, that, that's, uh, well, that was great. That was, I was really, I was, I don't know if you could tell, I was really straining on that ad. Yeah. Uh, but to more serious issues, because, yeah, unfortunately, between the, the Jones uh, holdout and now the Kadarius Tony news, it's been kind of a, a little bit of a grim start to the Chiefs training camp. The latest update with Kadarius Tony is that the wide receiver had surgery on his torn meniscus Tuesday morning. Joe, what's your level of concern? Well, I mean, you know, a meniscus tear, if it's slight, they can grind that thing down, smooth it out. And, you know, it's not like they went into repair an ACL or, right. you know, uh, you know, it's not like he's doing a total knee replacement or anything. I mean, I think I think he should be fine. Uh, but you know, it's just that it's just that extra little ding, you know, that, that Kadarius didn't need, you know, to his body based on his history, right? I mean, that's been his knock, right? Is right. his, his talent? He's as talented as Tariq Hill. We know that. We know we've seen sparks of it. 
and we've seen signs of it, but you know, you got to stay healthy, right? I mean, I was joking around with uh, Stephen and Nate this morning on uh, 810 chatting about, you know, when I, when I got to Penn, right. My art trainer said, Valerio, you got to be four things. If you want to play football here at Penn, you got to be hostile. You got to be agile and you got to be mobile, but most of all, you have to be eligible. So, <laughs> right. Like, which would basically was saying you got to be out on the field, like uh, whether it's taking care, taking care of the things in the classroom, you know, so that you have a, a good GPA to get out on the field, you know, you're not under academic probation or whether it's getting into the trainer and getting healthy, you have to be eligible to play, right. You got to be out there. Um, and it's just like that one thing that we don't need right now, the distraction of, of dealing with, you know, what this offense could have looked like with Kadarius if he's there, you know, would have been there from the outset. Now, that's not to say that he's not going to be ready by game two, three, four, whatever, when the heart of the season starts. So let's not panic yet, right? The same way we're not panicking with with the Chris Jones wow. holdout. Let's not panic with Kadarius's injury. You know, he got a meniscal, you know, tear, smoothed out probably, right? I, Jeff, I've, I've had a, you know, I'm not Kadarius Tony, and you, they clock me on a calendar when I run the 40-yard yeah. dash. So – but I've been dealing with the meniscus tear for since my daughters were eight years old. It's a little embarrassing, but my daughter's soccer coach, we were, we were at soccer practice when my daughters were eight years old. And the coach was like, Hey Joe, would you mind, you know, doing some agility drills with the kids? So I used to do their agility work. Like I didn't know, I don't know anything about soccer. Yeah. I do now that I follow the you know, premier league, but like I, um, you know, I didn't know anything about soccer back then, but he said, Hey, would you do some agility stuff? And so I was teaching the kids agility drills and I would do cone drills and things that I had learned, you know, operating in, in small and large spaces and offensive linemen. So I had some really good drills that we used to do with the kids to work on their footwork. And I had done it for several weeks and, you know, to no, no issue. And then one day I was out there and pow, I tweaked my knee and, you know, there's nothing more embarrassing than going down in front of, you know, 15, eight year olds. Very, very embarrassing. Especially when you're a former, like, professional athlete, you know. Right. And, you know, you're wincing, you're rolling around, and you're like, oh, boy. So, you know, I got my MRI. I got, you know, I got it looked at. I went to an orthopedist, and, uh, you know, one one orthopedist said get surgery. I went to our team doctor from Penn when I was at a Penn football game, and he said, uh, you know, Joe, what – he goes – how long has it been since it happened? I said, well, it's been about three or four weeks. He goes, can you jog? Can you run? I said, actually, yeah, I can. It doesn't really hurt anymore for me to jog or run or do the things I like to do. He goes, how about golf? Do you play golf? I said, yeah, I can, I can play golf. He said, well, then why would you get surgery? Right. Oh. So anyway, I'm not saying that I'm Kadarius Tony and, and, but I don't think a meniscal tear is as serious as, you know, anything else. And hopefully they smoothed it out and they rehab them. They get them back. You know, the scope wounds heal and bam, and he's as good as new come, you know, week two, three, four, five, six, even as let's get him to the bye week, right? Whatever. Right. You know, I, I think I think it's it's gonna be fine. Yeah, I don't think it's so much a concern for this year. It's it's literally the first day at camp, so the do is if you're gonna have an injury, if you're gonna have a surgery, you want it now. You know, the Chiefs are gonna be playing late in the season. We know that. So you'd rather have it now. And then he's available for the more important games, the, certainly regular, the regular season games and you know, the postseason games. Um, I too, Joe have had um, 
some some knee injury. I've I've had both ACLs and had some scope done, and it's obviously you can come back pretty quick. Um, I'm I'm doing some more research on this because I'm gonna uh, check it out, listeners. Uh, I'm gonna be writing a story uh, on Forbes like this and try and talk to a doctor. Or so, uh, but my my concern with this is, like you said, that one this is what we know about Tony is that he's so talented, he's so uh, elusive after the catch. But this is his bugaboo. It, it seems like he always gets nicked up. I'm also trying to find out he had arthroscopic surgery before. He had it last year when he was with the Giants. Um, he had arthroscopic surgery on his knee last year. I'm trying to find out whether it's the same leg. Then, then you start to worry if it's the same leg, and it's you know you worry that's that's a lot of wear and tear, and each time you're not quite the same. And again, I'm not saying necessarily this year, but you worry about a guy who's who hasn't been in the league very long. Maybe maybe he won't have as long. Uh, a career as you would have expected for a guy this talented. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to jinx him or anything, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh-huh. a sign of more things to come. If it's, it's a cumulative effect, right? Injuries are cumulative. And, uh, you know, you just, you just, you hope he can just eke out, you know, eight, 10 years and then maybe he retires and goes off in the sunset. I mean, that's the way I probably, again, I'm not wishing anything on him. I'm just making, trying to make a prediction based on where he's at. I mean, that's probably what, what the NFL is going to get out of Kadarius Tony, you know, is, is, is probably a seven to eight, 10 year career. And he's not going to be Jerry Rice who plays for X amount of years and, you know, sets records, you know, like crazy records for long, long longevity and, and, and numbers of receptions and touchdowns. Right. It's just, it's just, it's just the way his body is and the way it's going to go. And I think that's just something, a reality we're going to have to live with. So, you know, we're just going to, have to take every, piece of magic that Kadarius Tony can give us uh, on this roster now, today, tomorrow, and next year. And maybe we don't even look past that, right? And, yeah. and hopefully the Chiefs start to really plan for that. If, and if I'm the Chiefs, yeah, I I, I take as, as long as I can. I, I mean, I no rush at all. This is happening so early. If you have to wait halfway through the season, which I, I don't think it will, I'm, I'm saying this, just on a total bar, ballpark estimate, but I, um, I I take as long as as I want because that if key is having him in crunch time. Joe, right. I thought he was kind of the MVP of the Super Bowl. That's who yeah. I might have. I mean, his punt return, which is the longest in Super Bowl history, and then he also had that uh, great touchdown, which they then replicated the same play to Sky Moore. I thought. I thought that changed the game. I thought after that, the Chiefs had momentum totally shifted after that punt return, and you know the Chiefs didn't kind of look back. So, I mean, his value is really when he's there. He is, and he's a tough guy to bring down. It's a playmaker. I mean, you know, he, he shows up big plays, big games, and that's what you want. So let's just let's just go with that, right? For right now, not panic. You know, it's not pull the pat push the panic button, pull the plug yet. Let's just kind of figure out where he's going to be and, and, and what it's going to look like and how the depth that they've built around that position this year comes to fruition. Right. I mean, like we got, we got some depth there. I think we've got enough players that can, you know, that can, that can make plays and, and fit into this offense. Um, you know, let's not forget, you know, Sky Moore got, he's got a, a year ahead of him now to, to really grow and, and to see where 
you know, where he, where he ends up. Um, you know, you got MVS, right. Had, had, had a good year. We've got some, some players that, uh, you know, Rasheed Rice, we got Justin Watson, Richie James, Cornell Powell. You, we were high on Cornell Powell, the, the his rookie year. There's going to be some talent in there that's going to come to fruition. And, um, you know, you hope that it, it comes sooner rather than later. So I, I think, I think there's definitely, uh, some, some, some hidden gems in there that we may, may surprise us if, if Kadarius, uh, isn't able to, uh, you know, to make it back, you know, super early in the season and that'll get us through, you know, get us to that bye week, so to speak. Totally. And for those young guys, whether it's Rice or um, Justin Ross, um, John Ross is not so young, but these guys have to take advantage of these opportunities and they, they will, we'll see if they can. It'll be interesting for a, a wide receivers room a group that has a lot of depth in the sense that, you know, there might not be the, the Tyreek Hill level stars, but there's a lot of, we don't know who of this group will make the, the roster. Cause I think there's a lot of good people, a lot of guys with intriguing potential um, that needs to be sorted out. So this, this is, these guys have to use it for this opportunity. Joe, the last thing I want to talk about Friday, Friday mean is first day in pads. Any, what, what does that mean to you? Any, any memories that come up of first pads day? Oklahoma drill. That's one term that comes up every time I think about the first day of camp when the pads were on Oklahoma drill, you know, one-on-one O-line versus D-line and linebackers running backs versus linebackers, wide receivers versus D-backs one-on-one you against a defender as an offensive player, right? Offensive versus defensive player at their, at their associated positions with a running back behind you in a shoot. And it was time to see where your heart was and where your head was. And uh, it was, it was a wake up. And, and it was something I've done, you know, had been doing since I was a little kid. Oklahoma drill was always sort of a rite of passage or an initiation into, into the first day of pads. Totally. Is it the best drill to be doing? I mean, it, the only thing I give Oklahoma drill credit for is that it's at least it's applicable. It's not bull in the ring, which I think is absolutely the most silliest drill in, in in the history of the universe when it comes to football. I don't and I don't know if you're familiar with it, Jeff, or if there's other listeners that are. I used to when I was coaching high school football. That's and how, good, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Joe. That's yeah. how Christian Okoye got hurt. That you know he always had that big neck roll that made his pads. He looked even more um, massive. That's because he got like a, a bull in the ring drill. Like I don't know, this is late '80s that, and it bothered him throughout his career and after because he. Yeah. Uh, I, when I used to coach high school football, we used to go down and work with the youth uh, club. I would always say, you know, I would try, I would, I would, I would reel the coaches in and say, "Hey, how many of you, you know, do uh, bull in the ring?" And I would wait for them to raise their hand, and like I would, I kind of made it sound like you know it was something because I was an ex NFL player, like "Ooh, bull in the ring, they should be doing that." And they'd say, "Yeah," and I'd say, "Nah, stop it, mm-hmm. don't do that." It's not no. When on the field are you ever in a ring of people chopping your feet, and then somebody calls out a number, and all, and the whole goal is to lambaste you? Like nobody, that doesn't happen on the football field. Yeah, Joe, describe for the for the listeners out there. And I know bull in the ring has certainly been phased out. I believe Oklahoma drills have been kind of phased out as well. They, they describe have to listeners what those drills entail. So bull bull in the ring was a drill where you you literally lined your team up in a circle, like. 
could could be like a 20 yard you know diameter radius circle mm -hmm. and a player's in the middle and he's just chopping his feet looking around looking around looking around and then with no purpose other than to get hit so then all of a sudden he'd be chopping and then all of a sudden the, the coach would yell out a number of one of the players in the circle around the ring. Okay. Like picture somebody somewhere between five to 10 yards away in a mm -hmm. circle around a player who's in the middle and they would yell 37 and then number 37 would have to run and he'd have to find number 37. First of all, like you'd be, you'd have your head on a swivel chopping your feet, looking around. And as soon as they yelled a number, you had to find that guy. And then that, all, that guy's sole job was to run into you as hard as he possibly could. Like no ball, no blocking, just run into you as hard as like, it was, Oh, I, I get, I, I cringe when I think about it because yeah. it, that never happens on a field right. ever. Right. But Oklahoma drill actually now they've, they sort of not banned it, but you don't see it as much, but Oklahoma drill is actually a drill that if I were coaching, I would still do Oklahoma drill. Like I, I, I think Oklahoma drill, maybe not in the NFL, those guys don't need to do it, but like in high school or college, Oklahoma drill is, so you line up in an in, in offensive player versus a defensive player. Usually it was O-line versus D down linemen versus and, and linebackers. And the linebackers would be like four yards off the ball, right? And you would be staring at that player. You'd have a quarterback off to the side. And you'd have a shoot, which when I say a shoot, you'd have two blocking dummies. Maybe, you know, they'd be like seven or eight yards apart. Okay, so you're in the middle between. The, so the running back has to run between those pads or cones. You could use cones. And you had to block the guy in front of you. And the other player you were blocking on defense had to shed you and try to tackle the running back. I mean, that happens on a football field. And so, you know, Oklahoma drill isn't it's 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 applicable. And for D-backs D and wide receivers, you'd have, like, a guy in, like, you know, like, you know, a bump and run position, right? Like a cornerback yeah. versus a wide receiver. And you'd have to go block, you know, face up, block the guy. And then the running back would either go to the left or the right and come through that shoot. So it was actually a very applicable drill from, one, from a one-on-one -on -one blocking perspective. Now, you know, I guess – I guess people have outlawed it because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's single, it's singled up, right. It's one-on-one. -on -one. And, and, you know, I, I mean, to this day, you know, I always thought it was a very applicable drill, maybe not the first day of hitting. That's the only thing. Like a lot of times it was right out of the gate. Like you go through a practice and then you'd yeah. end the practice with the Oklahoma drill. And some teams do it like two on two where you'd have two down linemen versus two D linemen. Hey, that happens on a football field where mm -hmm. a running back is coming behind and two guys have to block those guys. And then, you know, they try to tackle the running back. So it's it's an absolute applicable drill, but you could also see why teams would kind of ban it or outlaw it or or limit what you did with that drill. Because, you know, you, you don't want to do it like the first day of practice, maybe because, you know, you're just getting used to hitting and getting the pads on. So um, you, you might want to save your hitting for actual full team scrimmage where it's more even more appropriate that your whole team is going right thing simulating what your whole team is going to do Joe with with full pads coming on Friday you know I know that makes it harder you know for everything but do you did you did you and also do you think the current guys any part of you any part of the current guys kind of look forward to when the pads do come on I know it's harder but that's kind of when football has become yeah. becomes football especially on, on the O line and D line because you, mm -hmm. you know 
you can't do seven on seven as an O-line D-lineman, right? You can't, you can't, it's not like wide receivers who can run patterns and do what we used to call skeleton or skelly or seven on seven, where you're just basically playing for lack of better terms, Jeff, you're playing touch football, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't, you can't simulate a whole lot without pads on. Like even, even we used to do some minor like pass rush stuff, but you don't have your, you know, you don't, you can't, get your helmet and hands in there and you don't feel what it's like to grab underneath, you know, a defensive lineman's shoulder pads and get in there and grab, you know, or, or the D lineman don't, they can't feel what it's like to try to grab an offensive lineman's pads and swim over them or do a rip move or whatever. Like it's just, and run blocking, forget it. Like you can't, you can't simulate run blocking without pads. It's, it's, you know, or, or, or your helmet and all that stuff. So yeah, Jeff, for, for most, most players, other than defensive backs and and wide receivers and running backs who are running patterns. Like that's when football starts is when the pads come on. So yeah, you're either, or if you're going to play a season, you might as well put the pads on because you got to get ready for opening day. So yeah, I, I, we always look forward to getting the pads on. It meant, well, number one, it meant we were one day closer to camp being over. So <laughs> that was always, that was always, you had to get through it. So you might as well put the damn pads on. So Great stuff there, Joe. Well, if you enjoy this show presented by Bet Online, please subscribe. We're available on your favorite directories iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Go, Chiefs! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E. AV on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.